Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews. How are you all? Are you okay? I am, I think, which is something. But can we just talk about cooking? Now, you know me. You know I hate cooking. I am awful at cooking and I am so fed up with recent years of having to, should we say, over cater that I just I, I don't want to boil another piece of broccoli. I don't want to eat pasta, as I've said before. Just want some new ideas, simple, easy. So a bit late to the game, I know, but we decided we would try HelloFresh because I just thought, right, they've got the ideas. They do all the hard work. Bang it in a dish. Done. Oh, no. So it arrived, our first ones. Simple, quick recipe. Let me tell you, three hours of my life dedicated to creating this meal that tasted like something a cat threw up. And then when I checked, it was nearly a thousand calories per person. And if I'm going to eat a thousand calories, I want to, I want to A, enjoy it. B, it's probably going to be wrapped in something that has the word chocolate on it. Um, and C, it, well, it's just going to be worth the calories. It's going to be worth having to get up on my backside and do some exercise afterwards. This is extraordinary. Did you know this? You have to chop an onion. Yeah, it's not It's not everything's done easy. It's just, OK, they... They select everything like a pepper, an onion, a garlic, whatever. But they just bung it in a bag. You still got to chop. I thought something like HelloFresh in my mind, it was everything arrives. It's all chopped. It's all done. All you have to do is whack it in one pan, give it a bit of a warm. OK, yeah, heat, heat to a hot heat. I, I do know that. But you know what I mean. Warm it up, bang on the plate. Five minutes done. Happy, healthy, tasty, blah, blah. No, no. Three hours. OK, the three hours included the washing up because this dish, even though it was a simple pasta dish, required so many different stages and pots and pans. I'm just like, what? What is going on? This is unbelievable. I'm sorry. I'm not having it at all. So uh, uh, if you work for HelloFresh, I apologise. But uh, I'm sorry. It, there's a hell in HelloFresh. I'm not not impressed with it at all. So that's that's where Philippa is today. Greetings. <laughs> but thank goodness for books that I can just hide away in, just pick up a book and be 
taken somewhere else out out of this mad world. And boy, do we have some great books to talk to you about today. Well, we, I don't know, me and my multiple personalities, maybe. But yeah, I've got some great books. Well, there's five books. There's one that really let me down, I was really disappointed with, and I'll come on to that and why, but some really good reads apart from that. So which books am I going to talk to you about? Let's get on to them. So we've got, first of all, The Twyford Code by Janice Hallett. Now, of course, if you haven't heard of her previous book, The Appeal, Where Have You Been? Um, it's just, you know, incredible sales figures. As the amount of talk about this book, everybody is talking and reading The Appeal, or they certainly were last year. And Janice has now come out with The Twyford Code, um, separate, standalone, it's not a series, um, and it's already getting huge wonderful reviews uh, and we're going to we're going to be talking to Janice today so i think that's i'm really excited about that lots to talk to her um about the Twyford code the appeal all sorts anyway come on philippa which other book so first of all the Twyford code by Janice Hallett then we've got the gosling girl by Jacqueline Roy um then we've got a play don't you know? Now, where was I? What was I watching? I was watching some booktube thing and they had reviewed plays and I thought, oh, gosh, I very rarely read a play. I thought, well, I think I'd quite like that because it's something a bit different. If I'm having a bit of a difficult reading day, I think a play would be quite nice. And um, I picked up this one at the Hay Festival. I was there for the Winter Festival. Oh, it was so nice to be there. It really was. Um, and this one is called Black Men Walking and it's written by Testament. Um, it's quite a short play and wow, I need, to, I need to tell you all about that one. Uh, then we've got Demon by Matt Wozlowski. Um, and yes, need to talk to you about that one. And then finally, we've got um, a book by Louis Theroux and it's called Theroux the Keyhole. Uh, Diaries of a Grounded Documentary Maker. So let's talk the Twyford Code before we have a chat with Janice Hallett, the author. OK, so are you ready for the blurb? It's a bit of a long blurb, but it's very much important, I would say. Very important to listen to this. OK, it's time to solve the murder of the century. Forty years ago, Stephen Smith found a copy of a famous children's book, its margins full of strange markings and annotations. He took it to his remedial English teacher, Miss Isles, who became convinced it was a key to solving a puzzle. That message in secret code ran through all of Edith Twyford's novels. Then Miss Isles disappeared on a class trip and Stephen's memory won't allow him to remember what happened. Now out of prison after a long stretch, Stephen decides to investigate the mystery that has haunted him for decades. Was Miss Isles murdered? Was she deluded? Or was she right about the code? And is it still in use today? Desperate to recover his memories and find out what really happened to Miss Isles, Stephen revisits the people and places of his childhood. But it soon becomes clear that Edith Twyford wasn't just a writer of forgotten children's stories. The Twyford Code has great power and he isn't the only one trying to solve it. Let's go to the first sentence. <clears throat> And the date of this is the 19th of November 2021. Dear Professor Mansfield, I'm investigating a mysterious case and suspect you may be able to help. Let me explain. So right from that beginning, you're taken in. Now, OK, let's 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 have it. 
this is a different book. It's a different book to The Appeal. The Appeal was all about emails and messages and texts. Um, so it's about the written word. This, the majority of it, are all voice files. And you might say, well, how does that work in a book? Yes, you read it as if it's one of those audio scribe things that have just a computer software that has taken the speech file and put it into text. So you get mistakes or are they mistakes? You get different spellings. You get some things that can't be heard. Some Sometimes when the person speaking on the voice file is spoken too quickly, all those different things that just adds another element to it. So if you're someone who reads a book and needs it to be sort of very literal and isn't good with sort of different methods of writing, then you will need to put on your concentrating pants before you sit down with this book. Otherwise, you will just get into it very easily. Um, it's such a different read. And well, I just think we need to get on and speak to Janice now. So Janice Hallett, author of, well, author of The Appeal and whose latest book is The Twyford Code. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Philippa. It's a delight to be here. Oh, it's a delight to ha have you, honestly. I mean, let, let's start with book one. We'll come on to the Twyford Code in, in, in a minute. There's lots to talk about with that as well. Um, have you been surprised by the success? Well, not just the success, but the continued success of the appeal. Yes, I, I think I, I've been more surprised because of my continued lack of success in screenwriting over the years. I spent about 15 years trying to get into screenwriting and in fact did have a, a film that I co-wrote made but then I had so many years where I just couldn't get anything off the ground at all so the fact that these two books have, uh, have been so successful it's all it's all the better that's so interesting because some people do talk about screenwriting books that they've read to help them write their fiction book do you think it I mean it's very different the appeal being sort of emails and things but it's still do you think it really helped? Definitely. I think if you look at the appeal in the light of the fact I have written scripts, you can see it's it's people speaking to each other. It's dialogue, mm. even though it happens to be written. So yeah, there's a, a sort of natural evolution, I think, between the two. And yet emails is sort of so far away from a film. While I could see it visually and imagine the people writing the, the emails and messages, that must be quite hard to then put as a film. Do you think you were actually trying to get as far away from script writing as you could? Not consciously. I mean, it did. When I first started writing The Appeal, it had come from an idea I was generating for a TV series about a couple who'd been volunteering overseas and whose extreme experiences over there informed how they saw this um, fundraising appeal back home. So that was whirring around in my head as a TV series. And when I started writing a novel, I thought, well, this novel could be emails going back and forth um, between minor characters. So um, it, it did have that kind of progression and uh, that's that's how it came about, really. And do you, do you have experience of Amdram as well? Because there seems yes, I, I, I've I've got the scars from it, and I could <laughs> really, uh, yeah, it meant a lot to me. So yes, you were writing from a position of knowledge. 
I have a lifetime, almost a lifetime experience of uh, Amdram. So I went to my first Amdram performance as a, an audience member when I was a child. I must have been four or five. The local group near me here in Northolt, the Raglan Players, uh, they were put on pantomimes and I was taken to see that. And then I joined myself when I was 14 and stayed there until, well, until the group folded, really. And that would be in about 2013, 2011, 2013, rough, around that time. So yeah, about 30 years. I did pretty much every job there from sweeping the floor and prompting to directing, acting and in fact writing plays. My first two plays, uh, the first one was co-written with my uh, friend Sharon, Sharon Exerby and the second one I wrote and direct, directed on my own. And those were my first two experiences of getting my work out there. So yeah, it has a huge role in my life and my, you know, my career. Mm. I'd also met my partner there. So oh goodness, I mean, it's... I am Amdram. Oh my goodness, I didn't know that. There, there you go. <laughs> Did it feel groundbreaking when you were writing The Appeal? No, I, it didn't really, no, it didn't. I mean, I set off writing it in the sort of, in the lightest, happiest possible way. There was no, I had no deadline. Um, I had no other work. Mm. Um, so I just sort of set off. If it, and I didn't know what I was letting myself in for, that's true. But it was also a lovely way to write something because it could evolve and be organic. The characters um, came up organically in front of me. It was uh, it was a great experience writing it, but I didn't think it would be groundbreaking or, or anything. And was it easy to, to get an agent? You know, I, I mean, clearly with the success, um, you would think it was easy because it's such a great book, but I don't know because mm-hmm. it was different. Was it hard to get over that initial? Ah, oh, now this is, this is an interesting thing with me. Um, getting an agent was the thing that held my career up, I think, the most. But it wasn't um, anything to do with the books because when I um, decided to write a novel, luckily my agency is a literary agency and a screenwriting agency, so. Uh, Lucy Fawcett, who um, handles my screenwriting, uh, she nudged Gaia Banks, who does novels, and passed my script on to her, my, my uh, the appeal, straight to her. So that was a fairly easy transition. But as for getting an agent in the first place when I was screenwriting, uh, that held me up for years. Mm-hmm. I, I literally I couldn't get one. And it was the most soul-destroying um part of my career Uh, they say all writers have a stall in their career at at one point or another and that was mine getting an agent my film that I co-wrote Retreat I mean that was out in 2011 I didn't get my agent until 2015 2014 2015 it was years even after that you'd think that that would be be easy you know once you've had a film out Mm. that an, an agent would be interested but no they weren't. I, I applied to every all the big agencies, small agencies, and it's Lucy, Lucy Fawcett, who, who finally spotted me and took me on. And thank goodness she did. But that's um, really sort of honey to our ears as struggling writers who don't get anywhere to, mm-hmm. to hear someone as successful as you still had to go through that very painful process and now look, look where you are. Oh. It was agonising. So I mean, I have every sympathy with people in that situation now. All I can say is, you know, keep going. You will find the one. And it's, it's actually, it is like dating. It is like finding the one for you, really. Yeah. That's true. And it, it's not just finding an agent, but as you say, the, the one that's right that will mm-hmm. 
where you can work together. Okay, well, let's start talking about the Twyford Code. Lots to talk about. Um, I'm interested in when you started writing it, because the, uh, as we've already said, the success of the appeal has has been so long already, and it's still going. What? When did you start? I started writing it, it must have been around August 2019. Of course, we then had lockdown in March 2020. Now, I was right in the middle of it then. Uh, So partly it it was my lockdown novel, which was wonderful because right when I needed to concentrate on it, everything else was taken away Mm. and that was all I had. So I really um, put my head down and, and finished it in lockdown. So you were writing it before the appeal had really uh, reached a crescendo of, of, of chat about it. Yes, when um, when the appeal launched, oh yeah, it was in the middle of the edits actually for the Twyford Code. So the Twyford Code was already written when the appeal came out. So that's interesting because if it had been me, if I had seen how successful the appeal was I don't know that might have affected my writing so that's nice that you could you could do that in the space yeah well since the appeal I've I've had the appeal and now the Twyford code and I'm just um sort of nearing the end of my third novel so that has been written having had some success with the appeal and the Twyford code I'm trying to think really has it affected me I'd like to think it hasn't I mean if I sat down and thought about it it might but when once I sit down to write it's like everything else drops away and I forget everything around me. Sometimes to the extent when I sit up and try to get back to the world, I have to think, what is my name? Where, where am I? What am I Gosh. doing? Because I've been so Im- immersed in the work. Um, so I think once I am writing everything, I forget everything else. It's when I'm not writing that things crowd in and start. you start thinking. So writing is a release and escape rather than... yeah. A- yeah. Yeah, a Disney escape, yeah. Gosh, how interesting. So uh, let's start. How did you get the idea for this book? Because it's so different from the appeal. <laughs> now that, yeah, the, the Twyford Code, it's been brewing for such a long time. And there's loads of different things that have informed it, really. A lot, many more than the appeal, I have to say. I mean, I first thought of um, an idea called the Blighton Code many years ago. When I first started screenwriting, it would have been about 2006 and I and it would be in my mind then it was a children's adventure but again there was a a teacher and a class who went on this adventure together when I mentioned it to people in the screenwriting world that they immediately kicked back on the idea of anything connected to Enid Blyton and I do remember in fact being um at the BBC uh in a sort of networking event with screenwriters and I mentioned to a producer I I have this idea and it's called the Blyton and she said let me stop you there Enid Blyton no we're not interested in Enid Blyton that you know that's not a a goer for us so that's I kind of put it on the back burner for many many years Um, so when I came to write it I, I don't know it's one of those things I changed it to Twyford rather than Blyton more because I read some Enid Blyton books and there was no codes in them. There was no code I could impose on it at all. So while I would like to have done that, um, I, I could have been more in control of, um, you know, the clips I put in in my book than if it had been Enid Blyton. So that's why I changed that. But it's still, of course, inspired by, by Blyton. Uh, what else? In it? Oh, 
so many other inspirations. Uh, there was a book called um, Life After Life by Tony Parker. It was published, I think, in the early 90s. Uh, and he's, I don't know, if you know Tony Parker, you know him. He was an oral historian. And he, he had loads of books that he wrote having interviewed people and usually people from very marginal communities who you just didn't hear from. And he'd interview them and then take himself out of the interview. So he would present in his book, um, People Talk Him. And it, it's an amazing thing to read. And he did one called Life After Life, and it's with um, prisoners who had been um, imprisoned for murder and released. And he spoke to them about their crimes and how they went about their everyday life. And that's always stayed with me. I read it at the time it was released in the early 90s, but I've never forgotten it. And that played into this too, because, of course, the Twyford Code is about a prisoner who's just been released from a life sentence and is trying to find his way in the world. So that was another inspiration. And another inspiration is, um, well, it's, it's not very not very nice one. It's a very sort of sad and serious inspiration. And that's the knife crime we have in London now, uh, which is shocking mm. on a daily basis. Mm. Uh, the amount of the young men who are lost mm. to that. Now, I think back to my generation. I knew loads of boys who went off the rails, who got into drugs, who got into trouble. And none of them were killed and none of them killed anyone. So I, I kind of wanted to go back to, to my generation to find out what went wrong there. You know, what what's going wrong? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was that too. Um, that plays into it as well. Um, so the whole, whole cauldron of stuff goes into the Twyford Code and um, that story comes out. And was the pressure for you to do it in the same email way because you chose a very different route? Uh, no, there's no pressure. Um, no, well, no one else has put any pressure on me at all to do it that, that way. I, I do kind of incline to doing things differently, I have to say. And I think my background in script writing means um, I'm very comfortable writing from a first person all the time, which is dialogue. Um, so, no, I mean, it just it just came about. I didn't, I didn't do a lot of thinking. It's a very different way of delivering words. Did that take some time or was it just that you were in that sort of groove and that felt very right and natural? As I started, I recorded some of those early audio files and played them back and put them through um, some transcription software on the internet to see how this software you know, translates things and what it gets wrong and what it gets right. And once I had an idea of that, I could then get into the groove of writing in that way. And it, it eventually, well, very quickly actually came naturally. And I hope then it becomes natural to read mm. as well. And by the end, you're, you're reading a lot of codes mm. in there that you don't even realise, mm. codes that have been, been imposed by the software and uh, and also imposed by Steve and his, his Cockney rhyming slang and you know imposed by all sorts of things but you're you're reading them and understanding them you know language is a a function it's an an interesting part of the way that we you know absorb the world around us was it a worry for you that people would get it uh slightly um and slightly not i think readers are very savvy Mm. you know if someone who reads a lot will I hope, appreciate something different to get into. Um, there's, I mean, there's always going to be people who don't get it, who don't um, like it, 
you know, that that's par for the course. But clearly everyone's loving it because the reviews, I mean, it's only been out a short while and it's, yeah, it's in, incredible. <laughs> they're, they're loving it. So yes, it's, it, it, it works. Was the writing process similar for the Twyford Code as it was for the appeal? Uh, it wasn't dissimilar for sure. Um, yeah, the Twyford Code, I was, I was writing a couple more things while I was writing it. Um, I was working with Carl Tibbetts again um, on a script. I was writing the pilot for The Appeal. So I was doing some other things while I was writing it. But apart from that, no. I mean, I am quite good at, I'm quite disciplined with writing mm. and uh, I hope, touch wood, usually quite able to forget things that are happening around me and get down to it. So was there anything that you'd learnt from the appeal that you then applied to the Twyford Code? Do you know, I think there must have been. There must have been a lot. But I, because writing is quite instinctive for me, I probably don't know. My conscious mind doesn't register it. So I would love to be able to tell you what it was. Because I think Twyford um, is, is quite a, it's a more mature book than the appeal, not in, in a certain way, in a writing way if you're looking at it from a writing point of view. Um, so I must have learned something, but I'm not sure what that is. I mean, to me, you strike me very much as a writer. That is, you know, if they if they cut you in half, you'd have writer running through to, to be able to have that focus and um, for, for, for you to be almost at your best when you're writing, if, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, were you always writing from at school? Was that? A, a yeah, thing? right from the start. From the minute I learned how to put words together when I was about, I think, six, five or six. Uh, it, yeah, it was my, the way I communicated with the world, really, and how I felt most comfortable communicating. And I was always good at English at school. I did an English degree. Um, although I have to say, I, I only really did an English degree because it was the one that I could see you could be doing a lot of writing on it. Uh, back, back in my day, there were no creative writing courses or degrees in universities, or I'd have you know jumped at that. Um, so yeah, that's I've always been writing, and then I went into journalism, so that was writing too. And again, I only really went into that because it was writing. I had no particular, and I wasn't a big news hound or an investigative journalist, but I did love the sort of regular communication, the, the magazine coming out every month, that you're communicating with people every month. You know, that, that was amazing about the magazine world for me. And that's interesting because the journalists that I've talked to who have become authors as well, they are usually more able to write wherever they are uh, because they just, they've had that um education through their working career that you just have to get get the copy done oh it was uh, a fabulous um training ground for being a, a you know a professional writer generally i mean you know you have to meet deadlines you have to meet word counts as well that's another factor some writers always overwrite some always underwrite but you have to be spot on um yeah writing when you don't feel like it writing when you feel ill um writing when there's nothing to write are they there's a saying in journalism that you you earn your money when there's no news mm. because that's when you have to find something. And, um, yeah, that's that served me well in script writing and in novel writing. Was there anything you wanted to include in the Twyford Code that you then didn't, got cut, or you decided not to? 
Not in the Twyford Code. Um, when I first wrote the appeal, the first um, version of that was um, around 100,000 words and the extra 20,000 words were all emails from Izzy to Sam. Oh, yes. So that, uh, which if you've read the appeal, you'll know that Izzy is, has a kind of obsession with Sam. Well, it would have been a very immersive experience, yeah. that 100,000 word version of the appeal, because you'd have really got that sense. Oh, how interesting. Oh, so that was that was a big cut that happened in... That was a huge cut out of that, yeah. If you could go back to when you were first writing, not the appeal, but your screenplay, um, what would you sort of whisper in your ear? Oh, that's interesting because hindsight's great, isn't it? If I'd have, you know, had that hindsight back then. I mean, I often wonder, should I have started writing novels earlier? Because that would have cut out a lot of what feel like now, you know, wasted years trying to get into screenwriting or trying to get my ideas out there because I had various ideas optioned and I worked with production companies on them. They just never went anywhere and that was frustrating. So yeah, should I have started writing novels sooner? That does a sort of nag at me. But then I think, well, I wouldn't have been the person I was when I started The Appeal then. I'd have been someone different and I wouldn't have written The Appeal. And that's a relaxed way of looking at it that, it, yes, it, everything happened for the right reason and it's got you to to where you are. So can I ask what's next then? You've mentioned this other book. What, can you tell me anything about it? Yeah, that's that'll be out. Um, I'm not sure 100% when. I mean, it's tempting to think it'll be out next January because it's the year between all of them. But I'm not sure. It might be a bit later. Um, that's to be determined. Uh, it's called The Mysterious Case of the Alperton Angels. And it's about two journalists stroke true crime authors who are both chasing the same interviewee from an historical crime case. Ooh, gosh, <laughs> that sounds wonderful. So it's, that's employing a lot of my um, experience um, as a journalist. Mm. And, and actually as, as a, a great fan of true crime books and doc documentaries, um, which I love. Um, so yeah, a lot of, lot of stuff comes out in that one. <laughs> oh, can't wait to read it. Well, I, I'll i stick for now with the Twyford Code because everyone needs to be reading that one. But we look forward to the next one. So, uh, yeah, Excellent. Janice Hallett, whose latest book is The Twyford Code. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you, Philippa. It's been an absolute pleasure. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So that was The Toyford Code by Janice Hallett. And now let's get on to The Gosling Girl by Jacqueline Roy. Let me tell you about this book. Here's the blurb. Michelle Cameron's name is associated with the most abhorrent of crimes, a child who lured a younger child away from her parents and to her death. She is known as the black girl who murdered a little white girl, evil incarnate, according to the media. As the book opens, she has done her time and been released as a young woman with a new identity to start her life again. When another shocking death occurs, Michelle is the first in the frame brought into the police station to answer questions around a suspicious death. But it is only a matter of time until the press finds out who she is now and where she lives and set about destroying her all over again. Natalie Tyler is the officer brought in to investigate the murder. A black detective constable, she has been ostracised from her family and often feels she is in the wrong job. But when she meets Michelle, she feels a complicated need to protect her, whatever she might have done. Let's do the first sentence before I tell you what I thought about this book. Okay, October 1997. The glass shatters and she runs, leaving spots of blood in the tangled weeds and dandelion puffs. She stops for breath. She doesn't feel the cut. She has long since learned to block out the pain, but the blood will lead them to her. What can I tell you about this book? The words I will use to describe it are... Thought-provoking, riveting, memorable, well-written, brilliant, and then I've written blinking brilliant. So basically, this is an amazing book. Yes, some of it is a hard read. Um, You've got all sorts of things about um, race, about politics, about um, families, individuals, uh, the state system. Oh, just about the police. All sorts of things. Um, And some of those are very hard to read. But it is a great book. Oh, my goodness. Jacqueline Roy can write. Uh, um, I mean, it's exceptional. Um, And on the front of my copy, it was a proof anyway, it said um, monster, murderer, child, victim. And that's that's what you where you are with the book. You're thinking, oh, I don't know. I don't I'm not getting all the information. I don't know who to trust. I don't know exactly what's going on. I don't know what really happened. And the truth is a funny thing because it's revealed over time. It's a book you have to read. Um, yes, you might find it a little bit hard in places, but you, it's a great book. I think it's one that you will talk about. It's a great one for book clubs. There's so much sort of meat to chew over. Amazing. Um, And now we come on to something else amazing. So Black Men Walking, written by Testament. As I mentioned, I picked this up at the Hay Festival. It was just lovely to be there. I I could have 
cried my eyes out just to be back at the Hay Festival and to go and see all these books that I ha I hadn't heard of. I've got to be honest, a lot of the books out on display for sale at the Hay Festival I hadn't heard of. And that is glorious because there were so many interesting things. And this was the first one that I picked up and the first one that I've read. It's a short one. It's about 70, 80, page, 80 pages. Let me read you the blurb on this. Thomas, Matthew and Richard walk. They walk the first Saturday of every month, walking and talking. But this walk, maybe they should have cancelled, but they needed the walk today. Out in the peaks, they find themselves forced to walk backwards through 2,000 years before they can move forwards. Uh, now, what did my note say on this? It's a good thing I, I write these notes. It, does, it helps you. It helps me. Easy to read. I can really see it as a play. This is on two levels. One is just nice interaction between men walking. And another level, it's about racial inequality that makes you want to weep. And it's, it's the clever interaction of both those levels that makes it superb. It's moving. It's funny. Um, it's interesting. I'd love to see this as a play. Um, I think it'd be exceptional. It's just great. Look, if you've just got a bit of a, a reading lull, you don't know what to read next, you want something a bit different, pick up a play is my advice. I think I'm going to be reading more plays. Um, and this one is is exceptional. It's, um, yeah, superb. Very good. Black Men Walking, written by Testament, a great play. Next, we go on to Demon by Matt Wislowski. Um, and this, you've heard me talk about Matt's books before. They're six episodes, six sort of podcast episodes in the book. And each one tells the story from somebody else's perspective. So you start off with the first podcast episode and you think, OK, I, I know what's going on here. This is what's happened. This is what's going on. I'm fine. I'm unshakable. And then by the end episode, you're like, what? everything I thought I knew, I don't. Um, let's, let's read you the blurb. This is, this is a hard one to read, got to be honest, but um, here's the blurb. In 1995, the picture-perfect vi village of Usselthwaite was the site of one of the most heinous crimes imaginable. In a case that shocked the world, 12-year-old Sidney Parsons was savagely murdered by two boys his own age. No reason was ever given for this terrible crime, and the demonic duo who killed him were imprisoned until their release in 2002, when they were given new identities and lifetime anonymity. Let's say that word, Philippa, again. Anonymity. Elusive online journalist Scott King investigates the lead up to and aftermath of the killing, uncovering dark stories of demonic possession and encountering a village torn apart by this unspeakable act. And as episodes of his six stories podcast begin to air and King himself, become, King himself becomes a target of media scrutiny and the public's ire, it becomes clear that whatever drove those two boys to kill is still there lurking and the campaign of horror has just begun. So let's see what notes Philippa wrote for this one. Troubled, troubling, strange, bewitching, well-plotted, good turns, unsettling. Um, love the six podcast approach. He's the, pre oh, come on, Philippa. He's the professor of podcast 
fiction. Sorry, I'm just hesitating there because I can hear something. Oh, that was very exciting. That poor postman who was trying to get my attention because he'd got some more books for me to deliver. <laughs> it's always a happy day when books are delivered. But poor postman. <laughs> he'd obviously been ringing the doorbell, banging the door and had then uh, written me a note, bless him, and uh, hidden the books away. Oh, my voice keeps going. I don't know why. But yes, Philippa, let's get back to Demon. Um, so it's, it is, um, horror is a, is a different word for different people. I was expecting, when I see the word horror, I do expect full on horror. And for me, it wasn't, but it's still there's still horror in there. So if you're of a fragile character, then this might not be for you, but you, I, you probably know someone who would really enjoy it. They're very well written. They're different. Um, and I just, uh, as I said uh, a minute ago, I just love this six podcast approach. I think it's very intriguing and I should learn now when I read the first uh, episode of the podcast, not to trust my conclusions from that and wait and see, have a little patience. So there you go. And then the final book is uh, Theroux, The Keyhole by Louis Theroux. Now, I have, I'll be honest, I haven't read any other books by Louis Theroux and I heard him being interviewed about this on a podcast and he just had me laughing so much with the tales of trying to survive lockdown while working with a young family and managing all the drama of children and being online. And I thought, yes, that's what I need. I need some laughs. So I got the book um, and I'll, let's be fair to, to Louis. Yeah, let's just put this into perspective. When the book arrived and I started reading it and I didn't I didn't get it. So I then I listened to him narrating it as an audiobook. That was at the time that we were just hearing about Omicron and it the world seemed to be ending. Can I be that dramatic? Not ending, but it seemed a, a, it was a very different picture then to how it is now. And so this was probably not the time to read about the initial horrors of initial lockdowns. But I just, I don't know what the purpose of this book was. I don't know. It wasn't to make me laugh. And maybe that's the problem. Maybe the snippets I heard on his interview were some of the funnier moments. And so that was my expectation. And that's why I was disappointed with this book. I'm not going to tag him in this. So it's not something I'm going to make a, a big deal about. It's just between you and me, isn't it? Um it did make me feel about being a parent, but it was, as I say, just just the, the wrong time. And listening to it was even worse than reading it. Um, and for me, it, it, it shouldn't be that hard to read a book. Reading a book should be a, an escape. I wanted, well, maybe if the book, maybe the book was to make me learn, make me feel if it wasn't to make me laugh, but it didn't deliver on on any of those. So I don't know. It just it I I can't recommend it. There's nothing wrong with it. And if you're sitting there thinking I'd like to revisit some of the darker times and and it's good to know that someone that seems to, you know, have it all, have the career, go, goes through it as well, has difficulties. But oh, I don't know. It didn't. I, it, 
I didn't enjoy it. I didn't feel comfortable reading it. And uh, yeah, I'm sorry, it's it's not one I'm going to be keeping and putting on my I love these books bookshelf. Um, but there we go. You can't win them all. I'm sure lots of other people will love it. It's just me. So don't listen to me. Give it a go. You, you never know. But I need to I need to do a wrap up. I need to remind you of which books we've covered. So, well, and remind myself, really. So we had The Twyford Code by Janice Hallett and Janice very kindly came on to talk to us about it. Uh, we had The Gosling Girl by Jacqueline Roy, Black Men Walking by Testament, Demon by Matt Wislowski and Theroux the Keyhole by Louis Theroux. Well, I need to go um, because there's more books to read. There's things to do. And then I can't wait to come back and talk to you again. So just look after yourselves and I'll see you very soon. Take care now. Bye bye. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one ever. See you again soon. 